0: Well, oh, good morning. How's everybody today? Really? You you wonder, you know, you say a question like that and you barely get a response. It's like, wow. Couldn't be sleeping already, could they? It could be. Actually, we, uh, can we put up a slide? We got a great picture here this morning. <laughs> Alfred's here, so right there. And, uh, we, uh we're growing as a church. This is one of the ways we grow, and we're excited about that. We also have uh, some Chinese men with us today who are visiting with their wives. Ann's husband is here, another husband back here, for New Year's. And uh, so we're going to say Happy New Year to them, right? And, and I know that earlier, you know, David was saying, uh, if you want to get a ticket, you need to get a ticket pretty soon for the uh, the coming event for the new year event, the celebration, because there's already more than 200 people coming. Okay, so you might want to think about do I have a ticket? Now, I'm I i I'm, I'm getting off because I'm going to be in Florida. And I told Eve that a year ago when she said, uh, what about next year's New Year's? I, I'm not going to be here at that point in time. But uh, our greetings go out to all of our Chinese and Korean friends and anybody who's uh, working on a lunar year as opposed to uh, uh, what we work on. And um, we congratulate them. It's a big time of stress for them. Cleaning, cooking, you know what Christmas is like, you know, same deal. So uh, so we, we congratulate them. And um, Marguerite and I will be taking a couple of weeks. On, uh, actually, um, I'm going to be teeing off with Marty tomorrow morning, uh, I think. That's what I heard. Actually, tomorrow afternoon. I'm looking forward to that. So I'm not getting very far from Oak Ridge. I'm just visiting Oak Ridge. Uh, what do they call it in the scripture? The diaspora. Right, and that it and the uh, there, Oak Ridge is everywhere, particularly in Florida at this point in time, so we 're going to have some fun doing that. We want to come to the last uh, sermon this morning in this little series that we 've been doing on reverse the curse and i and I want to say. If in fact you would like a copy of all of these messages, they're scripted out, you're more than welcome to have them because the kind of things I'm saying, maybe it takes you a little while to uh, put everything in sequence or to, to get it in your mind. And maybe uh, you're like me, hearing it's one thing, but seeing it in print and being able to think my way through it uh, is something else. You just email me, I'll be happy to uh, forward you uh, all of the material and um, hopefully it'll be helpful. I started in this section of scripture, Genesis 1 through 3, because really there is no more strategic chapters in the scripture. This is where it all starts. This is where it all begins with what God wants. This is where it begins with what happens. And this is where the whole story of restoration, renovation, salvation, whatever you want to call it, begins. And so I don't apologize for spending a lot of time in Genesis 1 through 3. You need to have this if you're going to have bedrock, understandable Christian faith. You sure, surely will remember as we've talked about it that um, there was an incredible... Uh, Time in which Adam and Eve lived but things went wrong they didn't just go wrong for Adam and Eve I mean sin had huge consequences for them but not just for them for everyone who comes from them consequences for you consequences for me sin and death anybody here this morning not planning on dying? Okay. anyone here this morning not wrestling with sin on occasion? of course not These are our struggles. They're not just Adam and Eve's struggles. But in the midst of all of that struggle, you remember that there were glimpses of hope. And those glimpses were, first of all, that God wasn't going to allow Adam and Eve to have access to that tree of life. If they had access to the tree of life, they would be able to perpetuate forever their behavior, their sinless, godless behavior. And God wanted something way better than that for them. So they can't get to that tree. And then, of course, there was the promise, the promise of the coming Son, the Son who would be born and who would overcome evil, who would literally crush the head of the serpent and give victory over evil. And that Son son had come, and that Son was Jesus. Of course, we're always looking in our hearts and our minds. There's this idea that paradise is a possibility. It was a time when people were looking for it. They were traveling the world, exploring. There's got to be something better somewhere. They didn't find it. There were people who fantasized about it in books. Fantasy is fantasy. There were people who tried to make it happen by building communities in which, theoretically, this paradise could be established and you could live like you were in the new kingdom. And it never Ever worked, And yet in spite of the fact that it doesn't work or didn't work, people still believe it to be true. And that's because we've been trying to say this is something that's burned into your spiritual DNA. This is a recollection. This is a deeply burned-in memory, and this is what the Bible does for us. So I want to touch on just a few biblical points this morning to make sure you understand that what I'm talking about isn't something secular. It's not some secular paradise somewhere. It is a biblical paradise. First of all, the Bible says paradise is real. And then it talks about there being a way to paradise. And then it tells you that the way to paradise is Jesus. Jesus himself tells you that, right? John chapter 10 and verse 9. I'm the door. I me, mean, if you enter in, you'll go in and out, find green pasture. It says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And then of course it comes to the fourth point here that it's the only way to paradise. The only way to paradise is through Jesus. He said, "I'm I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody nobody comes to the Father except through me." Exclusive? Yeah. Restrictive? Yes. But here's something you see you have to understand. When you come to enter paradise, two things have to happen. First of all, you check your crown at the door. Okay? You no longer get to rule your life. And the second thing that happens is you have to stop playing God. There's not going to be two gods in paradise. That was the problem in Eden, right? They wanted to be God, God's God. There's not going to be two there. And so we noted last week that things can begin to change when a person comes to Christ. In fact, I want to talk about that just for a few minutes. When a person comes to Christ, the first thing we noted is that they were rescued. I love that verse over in Colossians where Paul says that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son. He himself has rescued you, and he's transferred you into the kingdom of the dear Son whom he loves. So you've been rescued. You not only have been rescued, a second thing happens to you. You are indwelled. When you become a believer, something happens. You remember we talked about Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. What happens is God places his Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the seal. It's not the Holy Spirit who does the sealing, it's the Holy Spirit who is the seal. And when God looks at you and asks the question, are you a bona fide believer, what he's looking for is the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God is there, then truly you are a child of God. And it's not just the Spirit. Remember Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ Christ. Lives in me. He says later in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now think about it. You're rescued from sin. You are indwelled by God. All of a sudden what happens now is things begin to change. Why? Because you have the power of God in your life. Let me show you how they change. And it's what I was trying to show you last week. You remember Adam and Eve after sin. So think of it this way. Whereas Adam and Eve are no longer in the presence of God, when you become a believer, God is in you. You're in the presence of God. If you're Adam and Eve, okay you're no longer in the image of God but when you come to Christ you are being recreated in Christ Jesus you are being conformed to his image you are in his image Adam and Eve were hiding covered and ashamed when we come to Christ what happens is we are cleansed we are freed no more guilt no more sin I mean this is getting better Adam and Eve when they are out of the garden, are working, working, working. When we come to Christ, we're not working. What's Jesus say? Come, come unto me, or you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then, of course, you come to the situation where Adam and Eve refused to live under God's instruction, those of us, who are believers, actually come to the place where we do live under God's instruction. And as a result of all of these things, and I want to stress this, the curse is being reversed. The curse is being reversed. And I want to stress that because it's a continual activity. It's it's a process. Now, some people, of course, say, you know what, I want it now. I want the whole thing right now. Okay? That would be great if you could get it that way. It just doesn't happen that way. The New Testament has some interesting language. And probably some of you have wrestled with it. You remember on occasion, for example, Jesus said something like this. He says, the kingdom of God has come. And then he says something like, the kingdom of God is coming. Wait a second. Is it here or is it coming? And the answer is, it's both. And so New Testament writers talk about the now and the not yet. It's here now, but it's not yet fully what it could be. Am I being transformed now? Yeah, I'm going to be transformed tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and someday it'll be complete. Jesus speaks about this process through two little parables over in Matthew chapter 13. Think of the uh, the parable, if you will, of the mustard seed. The mustard seed is planted. It's very, very small. It grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it continues to grow. And he uses a parallel parable right next to that, the parable about the leaven. You put a little leaven in in a lump of dough, and what happens? It grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And so that's what we're looking at in our, our Christian life. See, So what we can say is that the curse has been reversed, but the curse is also being reversed at the same time. And what we need to understand is that there's coming a time when this reversal is actually going to be completed. But it isn't yet. Some of us struggle. Some of us say, you know what, we, we just have the first taste. We, we've got a little bit of a taste of what it's really, really going to be like. You know, the famed American communist, Joe Hill, is the one who came up with the phraseology pie in the sky, by and by. that was Christianity, pie in the sky, by and by. well, you know what, Joe Hill got it right at one point it is pie in the sky, pie and pie but I like it better than that, it's pie every day <laughs> look at me, you know I like pie every day. Okay, day I'm trying not to like pie every day but I really like pie every day pecan pie if you want to know which one will kill me It'll be that for sure. Okay? That's what we're talking about. You you get a taste and another taste and another taste. I, I was sitting at my dining room table on Wednesday morning. We have a young woman in our neighborhood who we've been working with for two years. Three weeks ago, she finally came to understand who Christ really is. Really. And now as a believer, she's sitting there so incredibly interested in the scriptures. Just like the light went on, witnessing to everybody she sees. The Jehovah's Witnesses were evangelizing her, she's now evangelizing them. It's it's, it's great. I mean, this is incredible. This is pie. Margaret and I just sit there and say like, how much better can it get than this? This is pie. Okay? It's not just about the future. It's about now as well. We get the first fruits now. but How do you know when you're going to get it? How do you actually know that's going to happen? Well, the guarantee is the character of God. Sometimes even false prophets say good things. There's a story in the Old Testament found in Numbers 22, 23, 24. Some of you will recognize the name of Balaam the prophet. Balaam the prophet has been hired to kind of reverse one of the promises of God. Balak, king of Balaam, wants the Israelites to be cursed because he doesn't want the Israelites taking his land, or for that matter, even being in his neighborhood. And so he asks Balaam to come curse them. Balaam says, how can I curse what God hasn't cursed? But more than that, he refers to the promises of God. Listen to what he says. God is not a man that he should lie. Or the Son of Man that he should change his mind? Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? The promise that that Balaam is speaking about is a 500-year-old promise. 500 years. God's going to keep it. And it's not just that. What about the promise that's made to Eve? It's at least, at the minimum... 4,000 years old that a son is going to come. And the son comes. See, It's God's character that, that guarantees these things. God speaks and the son comes and God now speaks again. And what does God say? God says this to you and to me. When I begin a good work in you I am going to do that work until it's done. I want you to hear me clearly. What I foreknew, I predestinated. What I predestinated, I called. What I called, I justified. And what I justified, I'm going to glorify. God speaks. And you can bank on what God says. Now the question comes up, well, Lou, when and how is all of this stuff going to happen? There was a time in my Christian life when I loved exploring all of this prophetic stuff. Somebody just said, you know, the sun's going to come, and I'm like, wow, when? And then you start getting out and you you start getting into the last six chapters of the book of Daniel like you've never been there before. If you don't get confused in eleven and twelve, you're not studying hard enough. Okay. And then you get into Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then you get into uh, Zechariah chapters 9 through 14. I mean, there's such incredible stuff there. And then you've got to get into Joel, and, and then you have to get into Matthew 24 and 25, and then you have to get into the book of Revelation, and wow, the next thing you know is you're talking about the Antichrist, and you're talking about Armageddon, and you're talking about seals and trumpets and and who knows what else. And, like, it it, it gets confusing, right? I, I know they got this all figured out in BSF, but I'm still working on it, okay? I'm still working on it. I think a lot of people are still working out. I can remember when you used to pastor in churches where you'd walk in, they had charts all over the front wall. When I pastored in Philpott and Hamilton, they had a picture somewhere. The whole front of the church, a huge front of the church. One great dispensational chart of what God was going to do every minute, every day, from now to eternity. You can do that stuff. But to me, what really, really counts... Okay. Is understanding that the Son who came is the Son who's coming, and that coming is certain. That's the important thing. I don't know why people don't study those five passages in Matthew where Jesus says kind of clearly five times in a row, "No man knows the day or the hour." Somehow that doesn't grab any traction. It grabs some with me. Be ready. Be ready, be ready. The coming is certain, the date is not. But I want to tell you something today. Don't think for one minute that history is aimless, you know, just kind of wandering along. You couldn't be further from the truth when you're reading the Bible if you have that thought in mind. It's just kind of like... Chance is in control of what's taking place. No, 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 no. Hebrews chapter 1 says something like this. When it starts talking about Jesus Christ, one of the very first descriptions, what he say? God has spoken various times, various ways, unto the fathers, by the prophets, spoken to, unto us in these last days in his Son, by whom whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and who upholds, this is a phrase I wanted to get to, upholds all things by the word of his power. He's in control of history. Nothing accidental going on. Paul spells it out over in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 where he says, not only in Christ is there reconciliation, but in Christ all things consist. All things hold together. Jesus is the glue of the universe. Don't ever think that history is not a course. It is on a course, and the course is the day King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Don't doubt it for a minute. It may look that it's not that way. But never mistake the invisibility of God for the inactivity of God. Because i got to tell you something. There's coming a time when the invisible is going to become visible, and when God's going to take control of history, and the coming is going to happen just exactly as he said it's going to happen. The coming is a promise. And it's not just about a promise. It's about a promise for people, people like you, people like me, in particular, people like the disciples. Do you remember? Jesus is telling them in John 14, 15, and 16, I'm leaving, I'm going back to the Father. And they're not really sure how well they're going to do by themselves, (laughs) for good reason. They haven't been doing very good all along. What's Jesus say? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place, I'm coming again. it's, It's a promise, you see. And we need to keep these promises in mind. It's the promise. Once again, the disciples are worrying. Acts chapter 1. They've been with Jesus 40 days. He's been teaching about all sorts of incredible things. And now he's going to take off. Just taken right up from their midst. They're just asking him about, will the kingdom of Israel be restored at this time? He says, "Uh, see you. And then, as they're sitting there gazing up into heaven. The angel says, Men of Galilee, what are you doing? Why are you standing here, gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken up into heaven, will come in like manner. It's a promise. It's a promise. See, that's what we have to fix in our minds. That the coming is a promise, and the reversal is certain, But then, of course, in the early church, things started happening. People were dying. They were wondering, what happens to the promise if you die? <laughs> Don't you love the story in John chapter 11? Jesus is standing in front of the tomb of Lazarus. Huh? Just before he stands in front of that tomb, what's he say? Martha's all upset. Jesus, you know, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, you need to understand, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come forth. It's an illustrated point, right? right? John chapter five, Jesus had said, the father places Many things in my hand. And here's what he places in my hand. He places judgment. And he places life. And there's coming a time when I speak and everyone's going to come forth from the grave. <laughs> That's why I love reading First Corinthians 15. It's a shame we only read it once a year. Because Paul kind of mocks death, doesn't he? Death. Death. Where is your victory? Grave. Where is your sting? Why? Because he says one day when God grabs control of history in a moment in a twinkling of eye at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will be raised. He says it again over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who fall asleep. We don't sorrow as others who have no hope. Why not? There's coming a day when Christ will return with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Death isn't going to rob God's process it's not going to stop God's process in your life or in my life and here's what happens we are all changed I love the way John puts it in first John chapter 3 Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we will see Him as He is. This is reversal factor number one. There is coming a day when you and I, the process of change is going to be completed. And we will be in the image of God, in the image of Christ. That's reversal number one. It's going to be finished. There's a second thing I want us to look at, which is it isn't just human beings where this reversal is going to take place. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, the earth is cursed. And Paul describes the earth in Romans chapter 8 as being in bondage to decay. And he describes the earth as groaning and travailing for the adoption of sons. It is waiting for our restoration, waiting for God to make everything right. And then John begins writing in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 about the new heaven and the new earth. Listen to what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. A new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Really new or renewed? ever asked that question i mean because you know when you start reading in second peter chapter three and you start reading at about verse 10 peter makes it sound like the heavens and the earth are going to be burned to a crisp and they're done here's the verse right but the day of the Lord's going to come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed done finished So the new heaven must be a really, really new heaven, and the new earth must be a really, really new earth. Maybe. And then maybe not, because if you read verse 5 in that same chapter, Peter's speaking about the flood. he's talking about how they didn't actually believe in things like floods or whatever but the flood came and it swept over the entire earth and literally it wiped out people, and other things during that time. Listen to what he says. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the earth didn't go away at the end of the flood. The earth came through the flood. The flood. And maybe the earth will go through the fire. Maybe it's a purging thing. Hmm. Not sure on either of those yet. Well, so if you want to study the problem more, then you start going into the Greek language. The problem is we really dazzle ourselves with our inabilities. Okay, so we get into the Greek language, and we come to two new terms, or two terms for new, like the word naos, and then the word kainos, you know. And we start talking like, well, when we talk about naos, I mean that means new, really new, brand new, new thing. Now we talk about kainos, and it's kind of like something that's been renewed, like the believer. We're a new person, right? But we're still the same person. We're made new. Kynos. So which is it? is it? Peter likes the word kynos, but the problem is this. Neos, neos and kynos can be used interchangeably. Who cares? At the end of the day, see, that's what I want you to see. So many times we get so caught up in in trying to outsmart ourselves theologically that we miss the fundamental point of the text. In one sense, who really, really cares? The point is this. God is readying a place for his people. That's the point. So what we have is God readies the new heaven and the new earth with the new Jerusalem, which is the new home for the believers in Christ. And I want you to think this way. Just remember when we were studying back in Genesis, we saw that when God created the Garden of Eden, he made that place for Adam and Eve, and he put them in that place. And it's exactly what we're seeing here. There's a new heaven and a new earth. It is made for us. To be placed in and now listen to what happens revelation 21 3 and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying look god's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and he will be their god and all of a sudden you realize that we have just come to reversal factor number two god is dwelling with man again back in God's image, back in God's presence. And it keeps getting better. See, Because remember that verse that we looked at back in 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we will be like him. Now most of us in our daily lives struggle in trying to overcome sin. It is a battle, right? We know the reality of Romans 7. One of the reasons Romans 7 sticks in our minds so clearly is because, like the Apostle Paul, we want to do good things, we want to do right things, we purpose to do what's the best things, and we fail. We're not any different than Thomas we're not any different than Peter we're not any different than the apostle Paul we are in a battle when it comes to the issue of sin but there is coming a day when the work is completed and we look like Christ and as Augustine would say when you get to heaven finally it is impossible to sin isn't that going to be good news Isn't that going to be incredible news? That we have been transformed. Isn't that what the scripture says? Okay? We're transformed. We were called, we were justified, and now sanctified, glorified. In the presence of God, in the image of God, with this thing that we have to focus on. No sin. And where there's no sin, there's no guilt and there's no shame just forgiveness and freedom it's reversal point number three no shame and we're not done yet Because we learn again about the New Jerusalem. If you start reading the beginning of Revelation chapter 22, it's incredible. You get this picture. In fact, as you start reading 21 and 22 about the new creation, it sounds a whole lot like you're reading Genesis chapter 2. There's gold and there's jewels and there's a lot of stuff and rivers. All sorts of stuff going on. Reminds us of the Garden of Eden. And now all of a sudden we hear about a a river, river of life, which is flowing from the throne of God. And the water of that river is crystal clear. And then we hear about the Tree of Life. This very tree that God restricts Adam and Eve from going here, all of a sudden now bears its fruit every month, new fruit, and it's free for the picking. And all of a sudden you realize, Adam's not working anymore. This whole garden thing is reversed. He's got water. He's got food. He's at rest. We're at rest. And that's reversal factor. Number four, we're at rest. You see it now brings us to a new place and that is the question is how do you get to that place how do you get to the place where you are in god's image in god's presence no shame at rest and the answer to that question is you follow god's instruction. That's the answer to the question. You you follow God's instruction. If you're going to be a resident of the New Jerusalem, you must follow God's instruction. What's God's instruction? Acts chapter 4, verse 28. There is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. And again, you can feel within yourself this too restrictive too exclusive? Be careful. Because you're right back at the point that Adam and Eve were. They thought maybe God didn't get it exactly right. Maybe God made a mistake. And so the fundamental choice you always ultimately make is, am I going to do it God's way, or am I going to go about it my way? Scripture says this, Proverbs 14, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. It's the same thing that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Lots of people are on that path. Then Moses speaks over in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that is to witness against Israel. They're making a promise to God. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and Length of days. That's the choice. Choose life. Choose death. It's the choice that Adam and Eve made. Before their choice, life. After their choice against God, death. And it's a choice that people make day after day after day after day after day. You say, well Lou, how do I get to paradise? Here's the simple answer. It's Jesus' answer. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You want to get to God? I'm the door. There is no other way. Now I want you to think about that. That's a reversal factor. Number five, we're under God's instruction. Full cycle, if you will. The journey to paradise begins with Christ. It's through Christ. So what do I recommend? Well... I recommend that if you don't know Christ, you start to know him right now. The scripture says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. If you don't know where you're going and you haven't entered through the door of Christ, today would be a good time to start in that direction. And it starts simply Say, you know what? You can say to Jesus, listen, you know what? I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I don't have a clue what Lou's talking about. Okay? You don't need to understand the whole deal. You just simply need to say, Jesus, I'm starting down a path with you. I'm going to trust you to lead me home. And he will. Because God is a promise keeping God. And I want you to think about something. Remember what I said before? History isn't an aimless thing. History is marching on, and there is a point in time. Remember the birth of Christ when the fullness of time had come? God sent forth His Son. I Let to tell you something. That was true once. It's going to be true a second time. In the fullness of time the sun is going to come. And the question's going to be, are you ready? Are you ready? In just a couple minutes, we're going to sing the King is coming. But I want to remind you of three things that you simply can do right now. You can start over. I hope you do. Start now. Don't be like Felix and say, you know, Paul, I think another time. Maybe maybe I may never be another time. Start with Jesus. Start the journey. And God, who's the promise keeping God, will meet you. And your life will be one incredible story of restoration restoration. One incredible story of the curse being reversed. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the time we've been able to spend thinking about these things. There may be some here this morning, Father, who don't know you. We ask that they would consider just simply following Jesus, listening to what he says, following his lead, moving in his direction. We ask that you would give them your grace through your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. We should sing that every Sunday morning for a closer, right? You can imagine if Cliff was really healthy, what would have happened. (laughs) Welcome back, Liz. Good to see you. Praise God you're here. The Lord is coming. Right? The Lord is coming. We don't know when. It's best to live like it's soon. No man knows the day or the hour. If you don't know Him, now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. Simply ask Christ to come into your heart. Take control. Lead. You want to talk to somebody about that this morning? Elders are here more than happy to talk to you about how you can have a relationship with God. And if you're a believer, I want you to think about the great future you have in front of you and what God's doing in your life every day. Pie, pie, pie. That's not the 3.14 stuff. I'm talking the real. I'm talking the pecan stuff. The good stuff, right? Get in a game. God's at work in your life. You're in His image, in His presence, at rest. No shame. Get in the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that today you would speak to our hearts. You want us to have so much. We settle for so little. Forgive us. Help us to understand not only the incredible future we have, but the incredible life we can have now when we live in faith and in obedience to the Word. Help us to do that this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.